The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Welcome to ACF Church. If you're new, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just excited to be here. Uh, welcome. If you are new to ACF Church, we're glad and just honored you'd spend your Sunday morning hanging out with us. Um, we are starting a new series called Fish on. And we're really focusing into the Gospels. When Jesus calls the disciples, he calls them to be fishers of men. And so we're going to talk about for the next four weeks what it means for us to be a church that's here for our community, that, that we would be a gathering of people that cares for our city, that cares for our state, and that cares for the whole world. And, and what that actually looks like, uh, we're called to be people who go and make disciples. And what does that actually mean to make a disciple and to be a disciple in the world we live in. And so I'm excited about this. This is the kind of stuff, you guys, that gets a church moving, that turns what could be just a, a gathering of people into a movement. And so that excites me, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to this. But if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start off with a text here. And the, that, that text will also be on the screen behind me, as well as in your insert. And you can also go to acfak.org and see the notes there, or download our ACF Church app which uh, has a new update on it. That's a free download, so you can go there as well. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 is where we're going to start off today. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, tur- he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Can we just pray together as we start off today? Jesus, we just thank you for these few moments that we get together as a community to to just listen to your word and to learn together. Father, I pray you'd open up our hearts to your Spirit's work. God, that we wouldn't waste this time, that, uh, that we wouldn't leave here the same people that we came in as. God, I ask that you'd unify us as people from different places and different backgrounds. We've all had different weeks. We've all had failures this week. We've all had success this week, and God, we just come to you asking you to move us and speak to us. Father, I pray for those in the room today who have questions about their faith, who have doubts about you, and whether you truly love them, whether you truly are real, God, that you would impress upon them your deep uh, and sufficient love today. So we all need that. We all ask for that as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've got some fisher people in the room. Uh, one of my favorite things is taking kids to, to Bass Pro Shops. You guys like Bass Pro Shop? I love that place. I was so excited when Anchorage got a Bass Pro Shop because uh, it's, I'm kind of a cheap dad. So I have three kids, and I love to take my kids to go do stuff that doesn't cost me any money. And so Bass Pro Shop, it's like, it, I, was, I was tell them it's like taking them to the zoo, but all the animals are, are dead, right? And so I'm like, that's okay. Uh, you know, look at the little mountain goat. Uh, and so we go, we go to Bass Pro, we walk around, and most of the time I don't really even spend any money. We just walk around looking at all the gear. And they were brilliant when they built this place because they put this huge fish tank in the back. Have you guys seen that? It's incredible, just full of just amazing fish. And the, the, the person that thought of this was brilliant because he's thinking, what better way to get people to buy our junk than to put the prize right in the store, like to put the animal that you're going after right in the store. I'm convinced if they could have like a moose petting section in there, they would have a moose in there. You'd all go buy new rifles and new pack frames and you're like, buddy, you need to be on my wall, right? It would just, it would sell a lot of stuff and they know that. So they got the fishing area in the back and my kids always go back and you know, they pound on the glass, which I don't think you're supposed to do. Fish don't really love that. 
Um, but, you know, my kids do that. And we hang out. And we look around and people are just filling up their carts with stuff, right? And I love getting new gear. One of the things that every fisherman or every sportsman loves is getting new gear. And I've got a lot of friends with some great gear. And I've got some friends with boats, which my dad always told me it's better to have a friend with a boat than to have a boat. So that's, that's kind of the rule of thumb I live by, is always find somebody that you know with a boat. You can borrow it anytime you want. But do you know that person that has all the gear. Like, I mean, they got the boat in the driveway. You go down in their basement and it's just fishing rods and camouflage and, you know, all these totes full of all the best gear and they never use it, right? Do you know anybody like that? It's like, why do you have all this stuff? The neighbor who's got the boat, it's a beautiful boat, you know, it's kind of sinking into the ground because it's sat in that same place for the past three years. It's never gone anywhere. And you're thinking, man, just give it to me. I'll take the boat out, right? And so you talk to these people and they're like, yeah, you know, I, I, I expected if I, if I had all the stuff that I'd make the time to go, to go fishing or I'd make the time to go hunting because it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy and thought to go do these things. And you guys know a lot of people come up with the aspiration of being a fisherman or a hunter in Alaska and actually a lot fewer people go and do it. And so the series is called Fish On. It's, it's about being fishers of men. And, and here's what I've been challenged by lately is that I feel like, I feel like the church and, and just Christians in general, we can be a lot like this. Like we're all geared up. We've got everything we need. We've got a little bit of education. We've got a little bit of experience. We maybe received some grace from Jesus, had a moment where we sensed that God was present and with us. Maybe you've done some studying. You've read your Bible a little bit. And so you know some things about God and his character, who he is. You know, maybe you've got these experiences. You've been to church. You've heard some sermons. Hope you learn a couple things uh, now and then here from what I'm saying. And, And so you've got all of this gear. But what ends up happening, we love to learn, but sometimes we struggle to get out and use the gear that we've got. Like, I'm worried that sometimes as Christians that we're educated way beyond our obedience. You guys ever experienced that? Like, I've got all of this gear, and if I'm honest, if I look at my life, it doesn't look like I'm using very much of it. It looks like much of it's sitting in the basement, you know, the boat's parked outside, but not that much happens. And so this series is all about us going and doing, all about us using the gear that God has given us. Because I believe, I believe in this room and in the churches in Eagle River are everything that is needed to reach this city for Jesus. Do you guys know that? Everything that's needed. God has given us all that we need through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, through our, our, our knowledge and all of the resources that we have at our fingertips to reach this city for the name of Jesus. And, and so I believe that with my whole heart, and I believe that ACF Church is meant to be that in some new ways in this next season. And so I'm just so excited about this. And Jesus, in this passage, what's happened here is, is he has spent 40 days uh, fasting. So Jesus is a little hungry at this point. And he's getting ready to start his ministry. And before he goes and starts his ministry, he says, no, I want to take some time alone away with the Father. And I want to hear God's voice. And I want to listen to him and let him, let him speak to me so I, so I can move forward. And then he, he comes out of this time. And then the first thing that happens is he gets tempted by Satan. Satan comes to him and, and challenges him. Which ha- This is how it happens, right? It's like when you're hungry, that's when the temptation begins. Any hangry people in here getting some hangries? I know some of you do it. I know some of you guys do it. You get, you get hungry, and that's when Satan comes in. You get some temptation. So uh, certainly with Jesus, his body was tired. His mind, I'm sure, was tired, and so Satan came in. He was tempting Jesus, and then Jesus overcame the temptation despite his physical, uh, his physical status, and then he moves on and begins his ministry. He begins his ministry, and he says these words. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I intentionally included verse 17 in this conversation today because I feel like it's really important that we reframe some of what we see when we think about the gospel, when we think about what it looks like to reach people for Jesus, what it looks like to do evangelism. So Jesus, his way of sharing this was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. So my question for you is, when you hear the word gospel, what do you think? 
What do you think of when you hear the word gospel? If, if you're unchurched today, if you are new here, you may have never heard that term. It may be kind of a new word for you. If you've been in the church for years, you've heard the word a lot. And it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But essentially the gospel just means the good news. And so if I asked you to describe it, you might say, well, yeah, uh, the good news is this. Jesus died for my sins, right? You might say that. If I, if I said, maybe I'm a, a non-believing friend, I'm like, hey, tell me what, what is the good news? What's, what's the gospel? You might say, Jesus, he came and died for the sins of the world. It's very true. You might say, Jesus came, he changed my life because of what he did on the cross. Also very true. But it's just interesting as you look at the way that Jesus shares the gospel, before he ever took a, a, a step towards the cross, he says this, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So there's something really key here beyond the cross that was going to happen to him, that he, could, he was able to share the gospel before he ever went there. So don't get me wrong, the cross is essential to us sharing the gospel with our friends, but it's only part of the gospel. So he says the kingdom of God is at hand. It's kind of like saying the best is yet to come. He's saying, do you guys realize there's a movement happening here? The best is yet to come, and just I want you to follow me if you want to be a part of it. This is the call. He says, come and follow me if you want to be part of this amazing thing that's happening. And uh, essentially, the kingdom of God, if you don't know what this means, it's, it's essentially God's rule on earth. God's rule on earth. In Revelation 21, it talks about what's going to come, this idea of, of God creating a new heaven and a new earth. And this idea that everything on earth can be re- reconciled to God, where there'll be no more pain, no more sin, no more disease, no more divorce, no more self-help seminars, no more suicide. I mean, none of this, it'll all be done, and there will be nothing but peace on earth. And so Jesus is essentially unveiling what's happening to people. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you guys know this? And if you want to be a part of it, come follow me, which is, which is really good news, that we can go be a part of this. And, and so it's, it's beyond just the fact that there, there's sin to be dealt with, because there is. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever tried to convince somebody that they're a sinner, but that's kind of hard to do, right? It, sometimes that's just not where people are at. You're like, hey, uh, do you know that Jesus died for your sins? And they're like, yeah, well, he didn't die for that much because I'm awesome. You know, I, it's not a big deal. That's cool. Uh, whatever. Uh, it's just not a big deal. But so Jesus, he, he, he shares with people, not only, he doesn't share that yet because he hasn't gone to the cross, but he shares the idea of the kingdom of God coming here soon. So gospel, like I said, it means good news. In the Greek, this word is evangelion. That's the Greek word for gospel, which is where we get the word evangelism. So let me ask you, when you hear the word evangelism, what, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Maybe it's like the tract. Anybody, anybody handed out tracts before? You guys know what tracts are? A few guys in the room. Tracts, if you've never seen a tract, they're, they're awesome. So there are these little booklets and maybe you've been handed one at like a baseball stadium or downtown Anchorage or whatever. But it seems like it's a different variation of this. You've got like the sad guy over here. He's the sinner, right? He's sad. And then you've got God over here and he's got like his arms in the air. He's God. And, uh, and then you've got like the, 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 ca- the chasm between the two, right? And then the next page is like Jesus in the middle, right? And, and he's got the cross, and the cross is like the bridge. And then you've got like the little guy, and he's happily walking over the cross, right? And then the last page is like he's hugging God, right? So it's like this is the, this is the gospel tract. It's like so there's you separated from God. Here's now you with God, which is absolutely true. And so when you think of evangelism, sharing the gospel with people, maybe that's what you think of is kind of like getting the tract. Or maybe you've had somebody show up to your door recently and knock on the door, you know, and try to tell you something. And you're like, well, that must be evangelism. I, mean, I think we've got a lot of different experiences with evangelism. But, but Jesus, when he shares the gospel, he's talking about something much bigger. The reign of God on earth. God's authority over all things on earth. And he's inviting people to be part of something. Inviting people to a place of submission to God's authority. And to be part of this greater story that's already happening. It's, it, do you guys see how that's a, that's a bigger gospel, I think, than what we often share? It's, it's a gospel that's not just, about, not just about us. 
I, I think sometimes we've watered it down to something much smaller, something much more selfish. Like, hey, do you know Jesus died for your sins? He did. He did die for your sins, but that's part of the gospel. The rest is that God reigns over all things, and one day all of this will be reconciled to himself, and you have a decision to make whether you're going to be under his authority or not. And so then the first thing he does is he grabs people. He grabs people to do this with him because Jesus values community. He values doing things in a community. And he knows if this is going to be a movement that he has to have people with him. It's, it's not something he's going to do alone, but he's going to gather people to do it with him. And so then he says this. He says, come, follow me. Which is sort of like saying, come and, and, and just, just walk with me, live with me, watch how I talk, watch what I do, watch who I spend time with, and then you're going to learn what it looks like to be like me. And I think as, as Westerners, we don't get this form of education. They understood this. This was really common in this Jewish culture. Oftentimes, rabbis would call people to follow them. And it was like this. You would essentially kind of give up what you were doing and go and literally follow them in their footsteps, walking with them, talking with them, spending time with them, where we have sort of a view of education like this, right? Like you show up, you sit in the seats, I kind of dispel some information and you walk off and, and try to apply it somehow. But this is more of a tactile, hands-on type of education where it's like, no, we're going we're gonna to walk with you and we're going to learn some things. And I'll, I'll be honest, that's how I learn best. It's one thing to get education. It's one thing to watch a YouTube video that tells you how to do something. It's another thing to actually do it with somebody and have them show you and walk you through the process. Jesus got that. He's like, I want to walk with you in this. So come and follow me. So these guys are fishing. They're on the water. Uh, why were they fishing? Was it just for fun? You know, I went dip netting this last weekend, and it was just to fill up the freezer. I didn't have to do it. I could have bought some food. Instead, I went and filled up my freezer with salmon because it's fun to do that. And so these guys, though, they were working. This was their job. This was their income. It was probably, probably a pretty successful job. They're uh, with some friends on the water doing what they do. And it says in verse 20, At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so many people see this as kind of a cute moment. Like, oh, look, they followed Jesus. You know, they got out of the boat. We read this all the time, maybe, and uh, gloss over the fact that this is a really big deal. Just consider, so you're at work tomorrow, whatever it is that you're doing. You're at your computer desk, typing away. And I come barging in. Hey, what's happening? Good to see you. You're like, hey, Brian, how'd you know where I worked? Uh, and so I'm like, hey, what's up? What are you doing? And I'm, I'm working. What are you doing? Well, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to shut the computer screen, and uh, I want you to just leave. And uh, I just want you to follow me around. Got that? And you're like, got it. Awesome. And I'm like, hey, by the way, you're probably going to get fired. Okay, sounds good. Uh, you know, can I talk to my boss? Nope, you're just leaving. Okay, so let's go. And so then they go and they follow Jesus, essentially giving up everything that they had built, all of the safety and the security of their income, and they go and they follow him. This is a radical request. It's a radical request that Jesus makes. One thing I think that is also essential to understand in this moment is that these guys, uh, these guys barely knew who Jesus was. I mean, how much of what Jesus was going to do do you think they understood at this point? I mean, these are, these are fishermen. They maybe have, have seen Jesus around, you know, maybe know something about him, but probably have no idea of what was going to come from this man's life. And so having never gone to a Christianity 101 class, having never explained some kind of theology of the Trinity, having, having never said, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, having never prayed some kind of special prayer, these guys were called as the first disciples. Consider that. Is that a paradigm shift for you? Because I think when we use the word disciple, we think of somebody that has given their life to Jesus. 
But what I see in Scripture is Jesus calls to these men, and throughout even his ministry, after performing amazing miracles, you know what? These guys still doubted. They still doubted. They still weren't quite sure that they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And I don't know if this changes things, but it's, it, this is a really important shift, I believe, for the church today. I think this is a really big deal because the pattern of many churches is this, that you have to believe to belong. And once you believe, then you can belong. But I believe for, for our church and for all churches, there needs to be a shift in the church and a new pattern where you can belong first and then at some point you may believe where you don't have to believe what we believe. If you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I buy the whole Jesus thing. I kind of like you guys. Uh, I enjoy being around here. It seems like you guys do some good things for the community. Uh, I'm just kind of here checking it out. I want you to know you are welcome to be here. And Jesus, he would say, come and follow me. He would say, come walk with me. Learn what my life is like. You don't have to sign on the dotted line to be a disciple. Do you get that? I mean, that's a big shift because it changes the way that you view your friendships. It changes the way that you view your, your workplace. It changes everything when you see it this way because now it's like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I do have some disciples. Or maybe, maybe there are some people who are following me that I haven't really even considered are following me. And, and maybe there's some opportunities here that I haven't, I haven't used and utilized. And so my question for you is, is this how you see Christianity? Is this how you see Christians in general as, as people going out and making disciples? Where there are people following you, learning what it's like to be like Jesus? You might say yes, you might say no. I'd say even in this space, there, there are some of you that are amazing at this. Some of you, I know, you invite people into your homes. People come into your lives. You are amazing at just kind of anybody inviting them into uh, this following type of relationship. Others of us, we resist it at all costs. We've got our three friends. We've got our families. I've got my job. I've got plenty on my plate. I don't have time for any more. And, and so I believe we're being challenged. I believe that God wants to challenge us as a community today to be disciple Makers, And I believe it all comes down to whether we want to be a lake or a river. A lake or a river. So let me explain this. There's a quote that I found by this guy named Neil Cole. I want to read this for you. So listen, listen to this. It says, A lake and a river are very different things. In broad strokes, a river is constantly changing, adapting, and moving. A river can forge through ground and smooth it out over time. A river can carve out great canyons and transport goods to those who are in need downstream. A river can create energy. It's a power source. A lake is constant, comfortable, and mostly unchanging. We can walk into the lake and walk out in exactly the same place with no change. With a river, however, when we enter into it, we are moved and cannot possibly exit in the same place in which we first encountered it. All who enter into the river are moved to another place, taken into the flow and thrust into deeper waters. A lake is safe. We can wade in at our own pace and go as deep as we want to go. A river is dangerous and will sweep us into its momentum and perhaps take us to places we do not want to go. A river seems to have a will of its own. So I have to ask the question, are we a river or a lake? And I want to say this, ACF Church is a river, not a lake. We are a river, not a lake. This is a big deal, you guys, because when you put a bunch of Christians together, you know what naturally happens? A lake. A lake happens. It's just what we do. It's just our natural tendencies. We have to be honest. Who, who doesn't like to be comfortable? I mean, I, I like comfort. I like being around people that are like me. I like just relaxing. And you know what? You know what a lake is? Relaxing. It's awesome. You wade in. You kind of tiptoe in a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, churches. Have you guys ever been around a church that's a lake? Maybe you've been to a church where you're like, that was a, that was a lake. Lots of happy people. Um, lots of comfort. Um, lots of uh, ministries and things that go on to make them more comfortable. Um, but not necessarily a movement that flows from the church to the outside. Not necessarily a gathering people who, who are willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of the message of the kingdom. And so we as a church are dedicated to this. 
This is what we will be. If we're not being a river, then we might as well pack up and go home. If we're a lake, then I want to go do something else. I'm going to go fish. That's what I'm going to do if we're going to be a lake. But if we're going to be a river, a movement, a community of people who are willing to go out into our city and into our friendships and our relationships for the sake of the kingdom, then I'm down with that, man. I'm with you guys. And so I believe that that's that's one of the things that is key about ACF Church. I think that people see that in our church. Um, It was pretty cool. A couple weeks ago, a guy came into the office middle of the week, and he came up to the desk, and Krista was working at the desk, and he said, hey, uh, he's like, I don't go to your church. I've never been there. I don't really know any of your people, but I just wanted to give you this check, and it's a sizable check, and he says, I want to give this to you guys because you guys love our city, and I know that. And she's like, uh, is it supposed to go towards anything specific? Like, uh, do you need us to do a receipt? He's like, no. I don't need anything. I just want to give you this and say thanks for loving our community. Is that not awesome? How cool is that? I mean, that people see our church as a, as a church that loves our city. I'm going, man, that's what we're about. Let's do more of that because that is, that is the gospel, right? That is the, that is the good news. When we love our city, people are like, they're getting a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. You guys, you guys realize that when we do, we do the, the gas buy-down or, you know, we serve our community with a, even the Easter egg drop or we're going to do the Impact Eagle River at the end of this summer where we're going we're to do projects in the city. We're going to do o- free oil changes for single parents and adoptive families. I mean, when we do that, what we're showing people is unconditional love. And we're like, hey, this is what it's going to look like in eternity. Do you realize that Jesus came and he conquered and he won? And that one day, this is all there's going to be on this earth is unconditional love. Do you guys realize that is the gospel message? And where there is a time to speak it. There is a time to talk about sin and to talk about how we are enemies to God and we have rejected him. And there's a time to make a decision. There's also a lot of opportunities for us to rehearse what the kingdom of God looks like in front of people. So I'm excited about that. John 17, 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. This is Jesus' prayer for you, is that you would not come out of the world, but that God would protect you from the evil one within the world. And this flies right in the face of a lot of Christian perspectives that are like, hey, when you follow Jesus, you just separate from everybody that doesn't follow Jesus. What you do is you you, you protect yourself from all the filth and the dirt in the world. And you pull your kids away and you protect your children from all the dirt and all the filth in the world. You make sure that you never get around that. And I mean, let me be honest and, and preface with this. There are times to pull away from certain people. And I did, I did youth ministry for a lot of years. And I, I'll be honest, I told students all the time, hey, you're, you're either going to rub off on your friends or they're going to rub off on you. And so you need to make sure you're careful about who you hang around. But I believe it's essential that we don't leave those relationships, that we don't leave the world. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we do not see one that ran away from the broken and the dirty and the hurting. We see one who leaned into those people. So we are a river. We flow outward towards our friends, towards our city. A passage that's very near and dear to our hearts as a church is in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. I'm going to read it right now. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the ends of the age. It's just a beautiful passage of Jesus commissioning his church, saying, listen, here's what you guys go and do. You go and you make disciples. And you even, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be doing a baptism service in a few weeks. If you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you. That's the first step of, of, uh, of, of obedience as a believer is to be baptized and to go public with your faith. And so, by the way, if you want to get baptized, just write that on a communication card today and throw that in the box in the back because we're going to be doing some baptisms. It's going to be awesome. But he's saying, go and do this. And what's beautiful about it is he says, behold, I am with you. You know what that means? The pressure's off. The pressure's off. You don't save anyone. 
That's not your job. He says, I am with you. I am working through you. No matter how unqualified you feel, no matter how much theology you feel like you're lacking, you know, no matter how much you feel like, man, I'm a messed up person. You think I could make a disciple? I do. I do. I believe that you can. And I believe it's it's essential. He's calling all people to be fishers of men to go and make disciples. And I believe that until we become disciple makers, we're just swimming in the lake. If we're honest, until we are making disciples, we are just swimming around in the lake. Discipleship is not, this isn't like an extra download, you know? This isn't an extra app for Christianity. Like, I'm going to download discipleship, I think, at this point. We're going to add this on top of what it means to be a a Christian. No, discipleship is the mark of a true Christian. Because what he's saying, it's very clear that when you are changed by the gospel, you go and you tell. When you're changed by the gospel, you go and you show it to people. It's what we do. And so it's not this optional, additional, like, maybe I'm going to do some discipleship. It is key to the life of a believer. So how do we become fishers of men? What does this actually look like for us? The first thing I think is this, do whatever it takes. We do whatever it takes. I think to be fishers of men, we have to be completely devoted to the life and to the mission of Jesus, to both acting like Jesus into learning about Jesus. This isn't dipping your toes in the water. This is jumping into the river, whatever it takes. It's a different way of viewing these things. I, so I said I, met, I went dip netting this week, and uh, one, of the, one of my habits, whenever I go dip netting, is every time I go, I fill up my waders. Every time I go. And that's, I got a cold now because I stood in uh, freezing cold water for six hours or whatever. But it's just what I do. Because what I learned down at the mouth of the Kenai a couple of years ago is the dude with the longest extendo fishing pole or fishing net is the guy that gets the most fish, right? If you've been dip netting, you know. Like the guy, he's got like the 40-foot pole and he goes walking in next to you and it goes way beyond your net. All of a sudden, man, he's got him every time. And I learned that. And so... So this year I built an extension for my pole, right? So I'm trying to reach out a little longer. And then you start jockeying with the guy next to you, and he goes a little farther, and you're like, okay, I can go a little bit farther. And pretty soon, bloop, you know, whoo, it's cold, right? You get a little drip in there. And at some point you just go, ah, forget it. I'm just going in. And so you get way out there. And I just, every year I fill my waders up completely because I'm, I'm thinking, I'm here to fish. If I'm not going to catch fish, I'm going to go home. Uh, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get something in the net. And if that means I'm going to be a little cold and a little soggy and a little sandy, then, then, then so be it. I think we need this perspective as believers. We need to be willing to do whatever it takes. And you know what? It's going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to be a little soggy and nasty sometimes. And sometimes you're going to give up things that you didn't want to give up. And it's going to cost you more than you wanted it to cost you. In, in Mark chapter 2, there's this story that I thought of that uh, many of you know of, of this paralyzed man. And Jesus, so he's in the city of Capernaum, and he's in a house in what is sort of like a, an impromptu life group. So these, these people, they get together, and Jesus is in the town, and they get Jesus in there, and they're all talking with Jesus, and he's teaching them, and they're asking him questions, and, uh, and the house is packed. People are just coming from everywhere. The house is completely packed. And so word gets out that Jesus is there, and, and these friends have this, this other friend that's paralyzed. And they're like, Jesus heals people. We know that. And so they drag their paralyzed friend to the house. And they realize, oh, the house is completely packed. How are we ever going to get in there? And those of you who know the story know that they climbed up on the roof, you know. And they bring up the paralyzed guy. And they start hacking a hole in the roof of this house, you know. And I can just imagine inside Jesus is like looking up. And there's straw and hay and mud falling down. And then the sun peers through, you know. And there's these little heads that kind of pop through the hole. Like, hey, Jesus, you know. And, uh, and down comes their buddy on this map. And then Jesus, he heals the man, which is just a beautiful moment. And, and these, these friends were just blessed for their faith. And, and we always think about the friends when we, when we think about this story. What great faith that they had to cut a hole in a roof to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus. It's just a beautiful story. But when I read the story, you know who I think about? 
The homeowner. Nobody thinks about the homeowner. I'm like, no, we don't know who he is. We don't hear about it. We just know there's some guy that heard that Jesus was in town and he was like, oh, you need a place to meet? <sighs> there's going to be how many people? Okay, I just painted the walls and, uh, you know, just cleaned the carpets and, and I keep my house pretty clean. So if you guys can just keep it, and it's like one of those parties that goes crazy, right? And you, you thought there were 10 people coming, and now there's 100 people in, in your living room, right? And so this house is packed full of people. I can just imagine him running around with a Swiffer, like, oh, doing what I can, right? I'm just trying to protect my, my flooring. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> hole in the, in the roof, right? And he's like, ah, oh, oh, seriously, is this what it takes? I, I just think about that guy and the sacrifice that he made. We don't know who he is. But he was essential to what happened in that moment. He created a space for God himself to work through Jesus to heal this man. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's a beautiful thing. And so we have to consider that it's going to take a lot. And sometimes you who are life group leaders, you're like, I get that, right? Because many people in our church, if you don't know, we have a lot of little kids at ACF Church. And that means that when we gather as life groups, there's a lot of little kids in somebody's basement which means a lot of Scotch Garden, right? I mean, that means a lot of messes. And oftentimes we've had life group where we go, okay, Kool-Aid in the basement, yay. Uh, you know, and we're cleaning it up and we're going, this is, what a small price to pay. You know, sometimes I get a little frustrated and I'm like, oh, it's a mess. And then I walk away, I go, you know what? We just made space for God to work. We just invited people to come in and follow us and created relationships. This is... This is a great use of what we have. What a small price to pay. Nobody cut a hole in a roof yet. So I think we're doing pretty good. I think we're doing better than this guy. And I just wonder, like, if you knew 100% that someone would find salvation through your investment into their life, how much would you give? How much would you sacrifice how willing would you be to be uncomfortable if you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God was going to change this person's life and they were going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? Would you be willing to have them over for dinner now and then? Would you be willing to let them come over and be around your family even though they're awkward, uncomfortable, and teach your kids new words, right? I mean, would you be willing to do these things if you knew 100% that God was going to work through it? And most of us would be like, man, I think I would, which is just a sign that we lack faith that God is working. See, we have to believe that God is working through his spirit in every person you meet to draw them to himself. We believe that there's always a conversation happening in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your homes, with your friends, with your family, that God is always working on them and in them. And that means that, again, you don't save them. You don't, you don't save them. You are simply a mouthpiece for God. You're simply, we talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I know we say that a lot, but that's exactly what we are. And God does, does the work. Here's just a couple things you guys can try. Um, just allow people in your life to know that you're a Christian. To know that you come here on Sunday morning. If they're like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Don't be afraid to say, I'm going to church at ACF Church. I'm going to be here. That's what I do. I mean, what if just, do the people in your life even know that you are a Christian, if you are, in fact, a Christian? Uh, be willing to ask people about what they believe. This is a great thing. You guys realize that everybody's got some kind of story, some kind of belief on spirituality or on faith or on God or whatever it may be on churches. And so the thing is, you've got to be ready for whatever that answer is. I mean, you got to be okay with like, yeah, I hate the church. It's like, okay, well, I can start there. That's a conversation starter. So um, who knows what they've experienced? And maybe you can kind of redeem that story that they've got and show them something different. But be willing to ask that simple question. Hey, what do you believe about faith? And, and to use things that are happening in our culture to open up great conversation about this stuff. Um, be willing to invite people to be part of stuff. When we open our church to the community, when we do things, be the, be the person that's like inviting your friends to this stuff because um, I believe that the things we do are safe places, easy invites, whether it's a, a movie that we're doing or even uh, Impact Eagle River when we're serving our community. We've had people that aren't Christians that don't go to our church show up to help change oil for single moms because they just go, this is just right. This is just something we should do. 
And so don't be afraid to invite people to be part of stuff. The second thing I think we can do to be fishers of men is develop a love for all people. To develop a love for all people. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 are just a beautiful picture of this. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Basically, he's saying, hey, at one point, do you realize if you're a believer in Jesus, you were an enemy to God? At one point, you were an enemy. You had rejected God. You had not received the truth of Jesus. And so you have to know that through the blood of Christ, you are now together with him, one with him. He has broken down the wall of hostility so that you could be reconciled to God. And so as a believer in Jesus, do you know what that makes you do? It makes you accept people. It makes you love people genuinely because you're like, how could I put up a wall? I mean, how dare me put up a wall between myself and other people as someone who is at one point rejecting God himself and who has been brought in by the grace of Jesus to the family of God. That's, that's amazing stuff. And so he's saying, listen, no more hostility. But we have to be honest, right? There's some people that are just hard to hang out with. Uh, we have to be honest. We love to hang out with people that are like us, people that believe what we, we believe, that have the same hobbies that we have. And that's a great place to do discipleship. Don't get me wrong. That's all really good stuff. But I just, I wonder who you have disqualified from the gospel. I mean, who have you said they're just too far gone? Or they're just too different from me for me to be used in their life? Or we just, we just don't connect on any level. We read about, we read about Paul, and, and Paul is one of those guys in Scripture that he calls himself all things to all men. And he has this way of walking into relationships and just finding the common ground. This way of going, okay, we're really different. But I'm going to search out the one thing that we have in common, and we're going to start with that, whatever it may be. And it's amazing how God will work through that if you're willing to be uncomfortable. I heard a quote recently. He said this. He said, if you're going to be a disciple maker, you're going to have to learn to sit in the smoking section. Where's that land in your life? Because it's like, yeah, that's gross. Um, is there even a smoking section anymore? Like, it's, most places are no smoking. But you get the point, right? If you're going to be a disciple maker, it's going to mean discomfort. It's going to mean, here's where my family and I love to be. And over here is where opportunity for the kingdom is. And it's going to mean going over into that place and being a little uncomfortable and giving up some things. But what you're going to find, and what I've found in my life, is over here is where fulfillment and joy is. I mean, over here is where true meaning is. I mean, it's cool to love your family. It's cool to be doing the things that you enjoy. But what's way more amazing is impacting somebody else's life and seeing the light bulb come on and seeing them get it for the first time that God loves them despite them. It's amazing. So I think that's where hope is. And I want to I challenge you to be genuine about it. I think people are smart. People can tell when you don't actually love them. When, when you're doing the awkward church invite, I mean, and some of you have done this where you're in the car and you got your buddy next to you and you're like, ah, oh, Brian just talked about inviting people to church. Or just, oh. So it's like, man, the weather's nice. Do you know that God makes weather and the trees and the clouds, and what do you think about God? Because I have, uh, let's just go get a frosty and forget this ever happened. Like, I just ignore, never mind, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. And some of you have gone through this where you're like, I don't genuinely really want them to go to church, or, or you've done the thing where you're just kind of trying to throw the tract at somebody, or, you know, just like, you're trying to do the work, but you don't genuinely care about the person. And I, I think if we're if we're honest, if we don't genuinely care for people, it's something that we need to go to God in repentance for. If we lack true love for the people around us, it's something to go to God. It's like, God, change my heart. Help me. Help me. Why don't I love this person? Why do I have such animosity towards this group of people or this type of person? God, help me as somebody who's different to love them. Ice cream truck? Ice cream truck. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, there's that. 
Number three, don't overlook the obvious. Don't overlook the obvious. You guys ever do this? You open up the refrigerator and you're like, where is the ketchup? Amanda, where's the ketchup? She comes over and it's like, right? It's right in front of your face, right? Don't you hate that? It's a big red bottle right in front of your face. You stare there for five minutes. I know it's not here. I swear to you, it's not here. And there it is, right in front of you. I believe that there are people in your life right now that, that you're missing. All of us have this. All of us have people in our lives, opportunities to be presenting, sharing, and being the gospel in their lives. And, and we, we just, we're not even thinking about it. It's just, you guys, we leave the church and we go and do what we do and we sometimes lose focus. We've got all kinds of things to think about. Some of you are already thinking about what I need to do this afternoon and at work tomorrow. Focus. Focus on the, the obvious things. First Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. What he's saying here is everything that you have at your fingertips, everything that you own, every gift and ability you have is an opportunity to expand the kingdom of God. He's saying that whatever it costs you to tell people about Jesus, it's going to be worth it. So don't overlook what's right in front of you. Don't overlook the people in your life. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's right in this church. Christians in the room, you need to understand this. Not everybody that's in church is a Christian. You need to understand that. That where you go, consider the crowd around you. Even here is a mission field. Everywhere we go is an opportunity. So don't overlook the things right in front of you. Don't overlook the things that you already love doing. I think it's really important to note that these guys were fishing. And Jesus comes up and he takes what they're already doing and you know what he says? I'm going to make you fishers of men. So I think God is saying to us, do what you do. Do what you love. Be the beautiful person that I've created you to be, but be that person for the sake of the kingdom. Be that person with an intentionality about your relationships, about your friendships. So he's, he's not saying, throw out everything that you are. He's saying, use that stuff. For me, some of you know that I'm a mechanic. I love working on stuff, working with my hands. And uh, I've been doing that for a while. And so for me, I, I built a Jeep. And it's this off-road Jeep. And uh, I always find the off-road communities. Wherever I live, I always find that there's a culture of people that like big trucks and like to work with their hands and guys that like to weld stuff and fix stuff. And, and that's me, right? And so I go and find those people because they're all over the community. And I go spend time with them and I go four-wheeling with them. And I, I, I spend time with their families. And there's, there's this guy that I was spending some time with and uh, we'd been four-wheeling for a while together and it's all we did together. We go four-wheeling, we talk a little bit on the trail and, and in our conversations, he found out I was a pastor. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know. I'm always wondering what people are gonna look at me like when they're like a pastor, you know. It gets a little weird. And, and he, go, he goes, okay, that's, that's interesting. And later he's like, well, I'm from kind of a Catholic background and that's where I come from and whatnot. And that's about as far as the conversation went. But about a year after I met him, we were working in the house one, one evening and painting some walls. And I hear the door, there's somebody at the door. And I go over and I open the door and, and uh, here's my buddy, Chris. And he walked over and he's got a cooler in one hand and a six pack of Bud Light in the other hand. He's like, hey man. And there was like two missing. Uh, and he's like, hey, uh, can we talk? I'm like, where's your car? Right? He's like, I walked. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's, he's mobile, you know, he's walking. Uh, where do you live? He's like, oh, a couple miles that way. Okay, wow, uh, come on in. He's like, well, I'd, I'd just like to talk. And so we sit down at the table and, and he cracks open a Bud Light and he goes, man, uh, I gotta tell you, he said, uh, you and your wife are the only Christians that I've ever met that actually act like Christians. I'm like, really? And so my heart kind of broke going, man, uh, that makes me sad. It makes me sad that he hasn't seen the love of Jesus come from those who claim the name of Jesus. And so we just talked for a while about deep spiritual things, about his marriage, about his upbringing, about his family, about, he's like, the, the Christians in my family are just horrible to each other. They just treat each other horribly. And so I just, I didn't want anything to do with it. But then I met you guys and I just, I don't know. And we talked 
And you know, he left that house that night and uh, he didn't pray any special prayer. He actually never came to church. But I, I walked away from that going, this is what I'm made to do. I was able to be one piece of impact, one moment of impact in his life. And you may not see uh, fruit from what you do. You, it may not be evident that what you do uh, is, is creating some kind of outcome. But I believe that every time you invest in the kingdom of God, it's an investment that is used powerfully by God. And so I want you guys to consider that today, that we're called to be fishers of men, to be a movement of the kingdom, to leave our security and to follow Jesus as disciples. Can we pray together? God, we just know that there's a world of people that need your grace. And God, I confess that many times I just want to pray, Jesus, come quickly. I want to pray, God, would you come here and take me from this place? It's a mess. Get me out of here. But God, I just know that there are people around me that need to hear the grace of Jesus. I pray that as a community, as a church, that our prayer wouldn't be get us out of here, that our prayer would be, God, give us one more day to share the gospel with our friends. Give us one more day to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our community. Father, I pray that it would, it would burn within us a desire to show people what true love really looks like, to, to, to show people what unconditional love really looks like, and to rehearse for them what is to come one day in fullness as your kingdom comes. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. I thank you, God, that you welcomed us into your family, that one day we were enemies to you, God, that we had rejected you, and Father, you made a way through Jesus for us to be reconciled to you. God, I thank, that, thank you that nothing can take that away, that we can't mess that up enough for you to not call us your sons and your daughters. And God, as we worship here in the next few moments, God, I pray that our gratitude for your grace would come out in the way that we sing and the way that we worship, God, that it would flow from our lips that, God, you have saved us and you are good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.